This is the Beige and the Bold, and today we are watching Interface. I'm Van Velding, and I watched this episode when it originally aired. And three, two, one, engage. So it is a Geordie episode to forget, man. It's good. It's intriguing. I actually really like the um, the opening for this. I, I have a history of saying that Star Trek dudes are just dogs. None of them are really chosen to be that attractive. I, I'd say LeVar Burton might be the one exception to that rule. He's uh he's not like sizzling hot or anything, but he's a pretty cute guy. And it's easy to miss that whenever he has that visor on. But um, it's a really intriguing... <laughs> it's an intriguing hook where Jordy's in this weird space and it's just him without his visor on. And as we go on, they're going to be like, oh, no, it's like 12,000 degrees in there, man. It's hella hot. And you're like, wait, how is Jordy doing this? It's really intriguing. Um, I kind of feared it was a holodeck when I was a kid, which shows you why the holodecks are kind of bad. Because any, yeah, there you go, 2,000 degrees. Any suitably fantastic premise, people are just going to go, and eh, it's a holodeck. Even if it's not a holodeck, your your brain reaches for an answer. And you could be intrigued if you have no answer. If this was Law and Order and Munch was in a Jeffrey's tube going, this is 12,000 degrees, then you'd be like, what? what? How, how, you know, but because of Star Trek, you're like, it's a holodeck. He's training. So like you already have an answer there and it's a wrong answer, but you're not intrigued because you, you have it. You have something. It's not completely outside your, your realms. Your, your self questions you are like, well, why are they doing this? What's the point of this? But it turns out he's teleoperating a drone. Which would have been some pretty hardcore techno babble in uh, 1994. But these days, it's just like, oh, it's like a work from ship type of deal. He can just zoom in via a, a drone. But we really don't have, a, don't have a strong brand name for drones, do we? I mean, Boeing is out there right on the front. That's what we got. Pretty cool suit. Like, the wires are pretty retro, but uh, it's also got some, some, I'd seen VR5, the series, a couple years prior to this. I don't remember a damn thing about VR5, the series. There's a lady and VR. Maybe her dad was killed? Anyway, uh, so there, there are some pretty heavy VR vibes from this. We don't focus too, too much on Jordy's perspective, the same way you do in VR or in the crazy alternative worlds, but this is very similar. And of course, Data's here to give us a little bit of a plot dump on this. I love this scene. I absolutely love this scene. It's not like perfectly in sync, but I really like uh, the effect of it. It's, it's a very quantum leapy, you know, where uh, Sam goes through the, you know, he's in somebody else's body and looks in the mirror. He's like, oh, that's how other people see me. And that, that's what happens in the drone. And Jordy just being overlaid on the drone is, is just kind of a conceit for for the audience to know what's going on and to see without it just being a drone with Jordy's voice, which would be a little boring. It, it also shows us Jordy's sense of prior perception, the, the sense that he's in this scene and what it's like for him and how they they take the drone data and they feed it back through uh, Jordy's experiences with it, which isn't super important, but it's pretty important. 
I feel that way about video games, honestly, where, you know, all these video games go through so much trouble to simulate human beings, right? Guns being held here, legs moving, hitboxes, um, crouching behind walls, all that kind of bullshit. Oh, walking animations. It's like, God, don't look. I should be uh, a, a, a 10 pound ball. Give me a shape. I could be brain shaped. I could have tentacles and invisible tentacles, maybe. And I could just carry things. And there's a different button for the thing that's held in each tentacle. Maybe alt fire modes. They say fires. That's not all guns. But, you know, alternative modes to use those things. And then just be like, you know, like shift V to utilize that thing. Or maybe uh, control V to, to bash something with it. Um, alt V to eat whatever it is. So then like you keep, well, you'd, you'd use the home, you'd use the number keys like you do, like you do in every video game where you map things to keys. You start with the number keys, whether it's armies in Tiberian Sun or Minecraft inventory slots or probably spells in WoW. I, WoW players tell me if you use the number keys to map things. I am 99.9% .9 certain you do, but I haven't played WoW, so I don't know. Did I play WoW? I did. I made a, I made a dwarf called Sarputin. Look, man, this isn't like a bad episode, but it's not a good episode either. And it's it has like a really interesting scientific problem with it. It has a human dilemma in it. And they intersect really well, actually. But the science isn't cool. And the story is not really interesting. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So the deal is they're doing a salvage operation on a ship full of dead dudes. And um, the ship's stuck in the stuck in the cloud. It's not not in the modern day cloud. In the literal clouds of a gas giant, if I'm not mistaken. So they can't survey the ship. I don't think they can bring it up. Excuse me, but they can send a probe down there, and the probe can survive, and they can communicate with the probe. Um, you know what they should do? They should put some buoys in there that just boost the signal, some signal boosting buoys until, you know, and just chain them down there. I'm, I'm, I'm poking holes in the plot. The, the idea is that it's hard to do. So, oh, they're still looking for survivors. They don't, they don't, they, they might be a live listener. Some of those seven people on that ship, they, uh, they could have lived. So it's 2000 degrees in there. Stuff's blown up. There's fires. But yeah. There could be a pocket of okay. If they had a shuttlecraft, everyone could have ran to the shuttlecraft and lived. That's good. So anyway, oh look, DS3. Now that now that DS9 exists, we can reference up there's like a framework for us. So uh we got a race in that episode. Oh man, I wonder what D DS3 is about. God, I should be careful with questions like that. I'll get more short tricks. So, just a little bit of things. And he's like, okay, so here's here's the deal. Jordy's mom's ship left on a courier mission uh, nine days ago. You were in contact with four days, and then boom, gone forever. And it's like, oh, that's bad. So we've been looking for him, but no sign. They've looked for him for 72 hours, so for uh, 24 times 48, 24, yeah, for three days they've been looking. 
Like, yeah, math checks out. They, they gave them 24 hours not to report in, and they started sending ships to search for it. So that's uh, it's pretty good. It's also a really great episode for Data, um, for Data's development, personally, where he doesn't say I need to speak to them alone, Data. And, you know, like season one, season two, Data would be like, okay, he's right here. Talk to him. So... This is what I don't get. All I know, I know there are competing theories on this. Is the Enterprise a typical Starfleet ship, and everybody manages to get into hijinks once, once every two weeks in, until the summer break, and then you know they barely survive and they deal with weird shit that what no one's ever seen before, or is the Enterprise just really unlucky? And do they beg for trouble, and do they have? Uh, a tendency above and beyond, perhaps because of their mission profile or their crew or whatever, to find more problems than everybody else. I think I think that's kind of a moot question because I believe these stories are not literal interpretations. It, that, that's a stupid way to phrase it because obviously they're not literal interpretations of stories that people are experiencing because it's all made up. So this is this is why I'm not a huge fan of canon. It's you accept that they're just emblematic of the types of stories that people could have in the in the future that we're giving. But it's also the, the stories of people who exist today, right? People's moms go missing sometimes, and you have to cope with what that might mean. And th- that's the most important things it means. Once you go, oh, well, what about the universe? I think you're I think you're missing the point of allegorical stories told of characters who are broad archetypes. Of course, that only works if characters are broad archetypes beyond um, blind, which Geordi is not really written to be. Geordi is not a broad archetype. Geordi is not much. He's just a guy who's blind. And he's often put against... He's often put... He could be easily contrasted with Will Riker, who's just a guy. And by the end, they don't know what to do with these two characters, and they get really bland stories that are kind of interchangeable. And even stories that could be interesting Geordi stories, like uh, liaisons from last week, are not that interesting. Um, right. So, and Geordi's like, I, you know, we should assume everything's going to be okay. We just don't know where they are. Like, guys, that seems to happen in Starfleet all the time. Like, how is that bizarre? But everyone kind of jumps to the worst conclusion. So we can only assume that unless... You, your ship is called the USS Enterprise. If you drop off the radar for 24 hours, they just start building you a memorial. They get right onto the party planning division of Starfleet Command. They're like, plan a memorial, guys. Get the the stage and the, the lights. <sighs> start giving out tickets. Make, manufacture some plaques. So, you know, tasteful, trapezoidal, like we do. Anyway, but like, that's what we're going for because th- this story is about Geordi kind of accepting an unpleasant truth. So, I feel like there's also other ways to put drones down here because without having to put a person's brain in it and fill their head up with... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm exhausted. Just exhausted. Um, But not important. You know, without filling someone's head up with with data that they absolutely need to not um, die, which is something we learn as part of this process. 
feel like there's a safer way to do that, but whatever. The premise is, is that there is a way for Jordy to do his job and to see something that no one else can see that gives him data that indicates his mom might be alive. And so he has to say, well, I've seen something that no one else can witness or experience, and it's telling me something I want to hear. And everyone is just like, well, you're probably just seeing stuff. And I don't I feel like that's not a strong, strong basis for an episode without a body. Okay. Um, especially for a Jordy episode, where it is interesting that I, I've said whenever we first met Reg Barkley, I'm like, look, this fucking guy, you know, we can let Reg Barkley be kooky and interesting and people like Reg Barkley. But we can't let our main characters do that because they're too important. We can't give them these deep character flaws that that Reg Barkley has. These Grand Canyon-esque character flaws that Reg Barkley has. Um, and therefore, you end up with Jordy being put on the shelf and not being very interesting. And not knowing what to do with them. And here, I appreciate that they are doing something interesting and new with Jordy. They are saying, hey... Um, what if, what if he was willing to believe this stuff? What if he said, Hey, look, my eyes are not subjective about this, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to, um, I'm going to believe this because I want to, because there's, there's evidence of something here. and I want to get to the bottom of it. And it's just, you know, just so happens to be something I want to see. Is that so bad? And and there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't feel this episode does unpack it. More dead bodies. The real problem with these people, the real tragedy here is that nobody left audio logs telling their story. You know? If they had, it'd be a lot easier. So, we kind of complete our mission. And... We kind of know what's up. And now, now we've gone from a rescue mission to a salvage mission. So we are way less, less urgent. But it also shows that Jordy's in real danger here. That we can be hurt through this process. If you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. That is what happens when you inject 10 cc's of stakes right into a plot. Grill them, liquefy them, right into a plot. You gotta, it's gotta be important. It's gotta match. It's gotta work. So... And again, for an episode, I'm not complaining, for an episode that's already a little bit on the insubstantial side, uh, you, need, you, need, you need to have some kind of skin in the game. And I do want to say that, like, I appreciate the medicine of the future. I am not negging it at all by going like, uh, they can just fix <laughs> severe injuries, like in a couple minutes. Uh, it is good that they can do that. It kind of tells you about this future. And I think if it featured more prominently... I think it might be a problem with the setting, the same way the transporters are. When the Orville, when the Orville started and you realize they don't have transporters, that's like future tech for them. I'm like, uh, actually, that makes sense. It's really good. I had an old podcast called Cecina's Pa Star Trek, where I would talk about um, the Orville with, with my co-host Skilltow. And one of the things I said about it is that not having the transporters is a big, big, bonus for the Orville. 
Having transporters solves way too many problems in Star Trek. You have to explain why they don't work. You have to explain why they do funky things. It's too easy to pull a goddamn half-assed fucking plot out of them. So, Jordy's talking with his dad. So, and there were, I guess it's been a day or two at this point. Well, four or five. Yeah, there we go. They playing the service on Vulcan. Jeez, why on Vulcan? Oh, I see. Most of the crew were Vulcan. Okay. So, a human captain and a ship full of Vulcans. Boof. I do like that little shout out, though. That little bit of nuance. Right? They just go, eh, Earth. Eh, pick, a, pick a nice city from Earth. We're going to go there. Um, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to go to Vulcan. Because... Again, I don't need continuity. I don't know. It's going. I don't need it's going to every corner of the universe and constantly. You know, someone's like, "Why didn't they mention lore in Star Trek Nemesis?" Because lore wasn't important to the plot of Star Trek fucking Nemesis, right? There are not a lot of Sung type androids. There's one here. We just found one. Spoilers for Star Trek Nemesis. No one needs to go. But but lore. Don't remember lore. No, you just write a plot. You move on with it. I believe this is Ben Vereen. I don't. I don't know Ben Vereen. I'm sorry. I haven't seen a lot of his movies. Um, it's just... Um, he, he's not familiar to me. So, this is another great scene. I noticed that as we get deeper into Season 7, we have great character moments as we lean more into, I think, uh, just, just, like, just like the more drama-y drama-itch of it. I don't, I don't have a good word for it. Which is good, which is great, which I think is what people can connect to with these characters. I would also counterpoint that when you make these characters simplistic and give them a little growth from episode to episode, but when you, you kind of break them down into being uncomplicated, I think it's much easier for people to relate with them. When Data is just robot, I think um, there are there are artistic uh, autistic people who... Uh, appreciate that in data who can, and who can relate to data a little better than they can relate to the rest of the crew. Um, you know, there's a lots of well, people see things in these characters. And when you make them, you know, Worf is a very stock character, noble warrior, likes fighting tough guy. Lots of people relate to him because he has a sense of honor and he, he likes physical combat. Um, these are things that are good for him. There's a simplicity to Worf's worldview. That's enviable. And the, social naivete of data i think is also enviable so um <laughs> see and here data makes a great leap to be like jordy might be in a bad spot jordy do you want to chill out with me and listen to this lacuna which is a great piece of like alien culture to throw in love it and data is like data nails it and jordy's like no it's like jordy i know this is a jordy episode I know you don't get a lot of them, and most of them are bad. But Jordy, when Data makes that kind of leap of emotion and intuition, I just need you to validate him. He loves you, Jordy. Validate his concern for you. Don't blow him off. Don't make him do this, oh, no means yes sometimes. Don't do that, Jordy. Don't be, don't be, don't train Data to learn that, not to understand like emotional consent or whatever. I'm missing my point. What I'm saying is that if a friend asks if you're okay, if you need help, I mean, open up, dude, don't make them play another. 
Data getting to that point is such a big step. And for Jordy to want to play some other little game with him on top of that is some straight up bullshit. And Data's like, look, you're a little biased. I personally, again, look, Jordy, I've seen this. I've seen seven seasons of this friggin' show, three seasons of the original series, some of the animated stuff, six movies. Uh, yeah, ships can go missing for a couple days. Maybe they're in a time loop. Maybe they're in the orbit of a black hole. Maybe they met an alien species, right? Maybe the Q threw them to another part of the galaxy just to mess with them. Maybe it wasn't the Q. Maybe it was the R. Maybe it was the P. I don't know. It it just, like, it could have been literally anything. Maybe they're at the center of the universe with the Cytherians. Maybe they're in Galaxy M24. You guys have done so much weird people look for the Enterprise and find a gone fishing sign in its place shit that you can't just write off the Hera after a couple of days. But whatever. It makes this plot work. Where we just say, okay, you're missing for a couple of days. That's pretty bad. We're going to start planning a memorial service. Because really, starships shouldn't go missing for days at a time. You should kind of know where they are. And then you know their last known coordinates. And then I guess you just assume that they fell into a... St- I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, there's... Look, it's going to be found... <laughs> Season 3 of Discovery takes place in the distant future. They're probably going to find the hair and be like, Oh, this is a starship from... Ah, many years ago. Now we just found their survivors and solved the mystery with the our own mystery of the week. Anyway, this is Jordy's mom. She's alive. And isn't it convenient that he has this vision of his mom just when he's afraid that she's gone? So. I do like how he mentions, oh yeah, all you can see is the probe. I think they could have put another reflective surface in there and just shown the probe. Like, oh yeah, I can see the probe. Whatever. It's simpler here. The um, the people who made this made a really nice probe. And I think you see it in two or three scenes. And they're like, oh, alright. Didn't get used a lot. But, whatever. I believe this is the same part of a ship set you see from a lot of things. Um, it really handled Geordi's kind of like being in being on the phone with somebody <laughs> while you're talking to someone else face to face. Um kind of feel this conversation. And you know, it's interesting, it's intriguing. It should not exist. That's kind of our first clue that it's messed up. But um that little bit where he touches her and he he gets knocked out, that's another that's another clue. So So now we're on to our mystery. 23 minutes in, we are on to our mystery. I I just, it's just not, it, it doesn't fire on cylinders. There's no moral question here, which I think is important to mention. All right, there's no, there, all right, there, there's a little bit of an idea of Jordy saying, hey, look, everyone says my mom is dead. Should I accept that? I think it's I think it's a bad question. I think it's poorly, poorly uh, given to us, and I don't think we have an answer. I don't even think it's correctly framed. Should you believe visions of your mom, who's probably dead, who's missing, presumed dead? Ah, uh, probably don't believe visions in general. 
Um, I don't know what like the real life analog to this. If you see an angel, it's probably a subspace entity. What that killed seven people. So because seeing angels is a big deal in the 90s. And so it's like, hey, touched by an angel. More like the angels will burn out your synapses if you touch them. But like there, there is a logical explanation for what he's seeing, though. And maybe that's maybe that's the key to what we're supposed to take away here. Yes, it's supernatural. Yes, it's validating to have this message. This kind of calls back to the Wharf episode, right? Uh, at the end of season six, where you know he sees Kales. He's like, well, I want to believe Kales, but I want the facts. And what do I do? That was a slightly more fulfilling episode, I think. This episode doesn't really... If it's telling us about that, which it doesn't, then I don't, I don't feel like it's getting us there. Or maybe it's not compelling. Or maybe we don't feel anything for Jordy. Or maybe it's another scene where Counselor Troy tries to counsel and we're not really great. And Troy's like, you know, you, you care about your family. You want your family to be alive. And, you know, what what are you going to do? You know, just give up? Because he wants to keep on working. He wants his family to be alive. And he doesn't have that closure. Like, what what is he seeing? He's seeing what he wants to see. Yeah, he's seeing something, certainly. Um, but we don't know that she's dead. Whenever the, these kind of losses are unclear then uh <laughs> i'm sorry whenever these losses are unclear like like that's the roughest one if 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 there's a body it would be easier i know i'm quoting star trek but i don't recall um i might be quoting this episode but i don't think i am um so and jordy has regrets he has I guess she is okay. But you never know when it is going to be your last chance to see someone. Especially parents and grandparents. Being, walking out on a big old hypocritical limb here. But, um... Yeah. She's not... She's not wrong. And it's just like... Jordy's not full on hallucinating. And if they thought that she did... That he was... Then they should probably relieve him of duty. But... Which you want to believe is so much that it manifests itself as a suit. Look, it would be really great if Deanna Troy were to say here, hey, you know what? You're running a lot of stuff through those, through those, that interface. I've looked at the specs. I can do that. I'm a lieutenant commander. Things that you want can appear in there. It would be great if there was an illusion that happened where it's like, oh, I'm seeing stuff. Um, it's like, well, that's what you want to see. You know, you're, you're interpreting probe data into sensors you're going to see and experience things you kind of expect so just focus on the hard data um and see what's out there and that would be interesting if it's like you know, what you what you're feeling like that's hard data what you're seeing that's actually part of your synapse which is a little reverse from how Jordy works but when you say okay if you focus on the hard data it's not telling you what you want in fact it doesn't make any sense but the parts of you that can be subverted by this process are the things that are being subverted by the process. You're not hallucinating. 
And we're not just going to vaguely associate it with projection somehow. It's just like part of the interface. You have to be careful. So, see, Jordy, um, <laughs> oof, when the guy asked about the microchips in his, his vaccine, because um, he's proceeding on the assumption that's like, hey, look, we think that the hair could be down here. And everyone's was like, no, no, it's not down there. The hair is missing very far away. And Jordy spins a goddamn Facebook worthy conspiracy theory here. Not not conspiracy theory, but string of improbable events based on half knowledge. Where he's like, okay, look. If we knew that she'd seen a duck before, maybe she built a duck-based warp drive. This planet's wet. What do ducks love? Being wet. Um, and, is, and, and so, like, he... It's possible. I mean, it's possible. Look, the hair is missing. How do you, how do you lose an entire starship with no debris? Jordy isn't just, you know, huffing hopium here. There there has to be some explanation for what happened to the Hera. That's it's a long shot, and no one actually can explain what he saw there. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. I may have missed it, but I, I don't see where anyone goes, no, that's uh gravy, Jordy. You had uh yeah you had tartar sauce last night. You know how tartar sauce affects you. Like, no. Dave's just like, look, it's a it's a long shot. But, like, you guys don't know where the Hera is. And it just, like, is there anything you guys can do to follow up on this? Instead of assuming Jordy's just losing his fucking mind, you could actually look into this a little more than not at all. I, I'm aware I'm saying this while on screen is the main character of Jean-Luc Picard, where a massive terrorist attack hit the Federation. The Federation are just like, huh. Sucks, dude. Let's ban guns. Let's ban airplanes after 9-11. Uh, you want to find out who did 9-11? No, we're just going to ban the airplanes. I don't... This is a nice little scene right here. I really love it. So... Oh, Jordy's not relieved of duty yet. And Riker's reaching out to Jordy. It's a good character moment. Kind of plays off of Riker's established history. And... And like it's you know these two don't get a lot of moments together, so it's good to have them have a moment together. I wish it was a little bit. It feels really staged, you know. Riker's like, look, you know, my mama died, had to get over it. When I was a kid, uh, anecdote from my childhood about how I couldn't accept her death. Um, and it's cool, and it shows baby Riker being a little cringe, but it's you know because he cares about his mom and he missed her. He wanted his mom to be alive. And, um, I'm surprised his dad stayed around until he was five. I'm surprised. But, um, anyway, it's a good story. Decently told by Frakes. And I just wish that there was, I, I, it just feels rote, you know? And Jordy just is like, bam, counterspell. Not affected by that at all. Never tell a heart-to-heart -heart stories when uh, a guy who doesn't want to believe he has two blue mana up, Riker. You gotta be, you gotta be aware of what your opponent's board state. I wish that we could circle back on this and get something out of it. I mean, 
Dana counseling, eh, whatever. We're kind of talking about Jordy. Um, here I think we kind of get where Jordy's just like, I'm not interested. I don't I don't want to do this. Uh. So um, but it's hard. And Jordy's like, like it it's not exactly the same, so I can ignore your anecdote. And it's like, I wish there was a more human way to do this. Jordy's just a few few inches taller than him when he's sitting down. John Frakes is a tall guy. And Jordy looks like an a-hole. And I just don't... You know, so it's, it's hard to relate to him. It's hard to sympathize with him. Maybe he was slightly too aggressive in that scene. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I don't know. Another great moment from Data in this episode, where Data's like, I, neural output pathways, visual input patterns, accustomed, we're friends, Jordy, goddammit, you're going to do this and I'm going to goddamn help you. Season one, Data would have turned this dude in. Season two, season two, Jordy may not have, uh, season one, Jordy may not have done this at all. You know, we give people so much slack in Star Trek for breaking the rules. I think this is a fair one. I think Jordy's actually kind of on the ground. I don't. I don't think the story's handling it that well. I don't think. The, I don't think it's structured well. Um, I think if it was, people would give more shits about this episode. But this is supposed to be like the bold, gonna get it done moment. And Data goes, "Look, man, ride or die." This is Data's ride or die moment, and. Um, And, you know, it's good. It's classic Star Trek. We're going to do this together because of our the bonds between us are more than the, the bonds of, of regulations and stuff. And Jordy's like, hey, um, this is important. And I think it's worth doing. I think I think there's a chance. It's sus, yes. But um, Data's like, hey, you got to consider the possibility that you're seeing things. We don't know why you're seeing things. Again, if I missed that part, I apologize. It must be murder for you to listen to me talk about uh, something that they addressed. But they're not like, oh, it's static signals that your brain has to interpret as something. And therefore, they're interpreting it as, as your mom. Something. Something that's on the forefront of your mind. So... So, the thing is, if this is a gas giant, how are they on the surface? Then, um, it could be crushed like an egg, right? Uh, well, it won't. I don't know if gas, I mean, gas giants don't have a surface. I guess they were on the surface of Venus, which has clouds up top, and then is, um, I'd say party on the surface if, um, parties were, you know, incredibly strong acids at high heats. So... And you know, some of this stuff works. Interference. I guess I need to figure out a way to cut through more interference. So. And here we're doing a little bit of techno babble. And Dory's like, bam, warp funnel. 
So, and this is basically just the action bit. And it's good, but it is also a scene where we get all of our exposition. So we don't have like clues and breadcrumbs that are being put together. We have a few, but not a lot. It's like, why, why are these people dead? What happened? Um, so, like, don't have a mystery that coalesces here. We go from this right into the exposition. And... Uh, you know, our stakes ramp up. And everything kind of happens all at once. All the all the happening in this episode happens in this scene and the scene where he initially sees her. And a lot of other things, like, like there's some character bits in there in the other uh, actions where he talked with Data and they look at the lacunae together. And Riker tries to, to relate with him with his thing. Uh, a little bit where Jordy pitches a bad idea in, in the, the ready room. But it's just so soft. Like there's not a lot of mystery happening here either. And yet we act like it's a mystery. And it is a mystery. I, I just that we don't have enough parts of the mystery. And if we did, if we did, then suddenly they'd be like, Maybe whatever Jordy is seeing could give us answers, and then we'd lose our conflict. Um, it would be weird for Picard to go, no, that's not your mom, Jordy. But uh, maybe maybe it can tell it. Maybe your hallucination can tell us something. <laughs> go have a have have a vision quest on the dead ship, Jordy. Tell us about tell us tell us what you see. Um So yeah. And we also get a little bit of um Therapy for Jordy, where he actually gets to say things um, that he wanted to say to his mom. And he just, oh, the Ramah is what it is. Where, you know, Jordy gets closure out of this, which is nice. <laughs> I don't know if it took Riker that long to figure that out, or if he really had to wait for the close-up. Where he's like, the Ramah, it's going down. Jordy. <laughs> so yeah 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 it, it, it cuts from the, the extreme close-up to Riker the chair the camera swivels around and there's Worf and Picard in the turbo lift already going yeah Jordy come on come with us we're going to get Jordy obviously come on let's go to the interface room the cybernetics lab I think this is called Data has a great bit where uh, he's like, hey, look, you're you're putting me in a really bad situation, Jordy. And it seems like you could just whoop down the data inputs, but um, I'll pitch about that later. So, and we're getting just, everything's ramping up now. Everything's happening now. I like that Dr. Crusher arrives last. Captain Picard went there and then he caught up. Jordy believes those stakes are real. Until we get another twist. And again, everything happens so fast. And there's so little visually happening. People are telling us stuff that's happening. The events that are unfurling um, are very, I want to say cost effective. Where Jordy looks at a panel and he goes, it's this. And she puts her hands on his head and he goes, ah. And everybody stands around Jordy in a suit. And he goes, ah, ooh. Um, so, 
like like it's 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 really unsatisfying in that respect where there isn't like the ship shakes and like gases come in he's like oh i gotta i gotta close the bulkhead or whatever um like like the the tension in that respect just isn't there people are looking at consoles and she has effects around her but i don't think they're that great like it's a little interesting but it's just not interesting enough And ultimately we just have to go and but then they, but then they can travel outside the hole anyway we see them just go bloop, bloop, and go through the hole and it's like so why don't, why don't you go further fucking down so jordy doesn't have to like open up a, a hatch and blow out the interface probe or something and be like oh we're gonna lose the probe in the ship but it's worth it to let these murdering fire ghosts go i'm calling i'm calling these guys ghosts as well i do it i'm i'm tng has a lot of ghosts I don't need to pad the numbers here, but this is a ghost. It's another ghost. I'm not 100% sure what these beings are, but if they're subspace anything, ghosts. That's that's my official ruling on it. So, and now we kind of like, oh, the mystery that barely happened will happen to the ship of dead people. There are ships of dead people all the goddamn time in this show. Like, okay. We discovered what killed crew number 716. Amazing. I'm just... It's... And people are like, did they kill people? And I was like, yeah, but... It was an accident. It's fine. You know, they, did, they didn't know any other way. I would say, though, that if you are a being which understands that it can communicate with someone and you pick up your cell phone and then you call their phone number and they die and then you're like well there's six more of them left i'm just gonna call the other six of them you've got to be pretty fucking stupid life form honestly to just keep calling life forms until they died unless the crew of the ramon is like eh, maybe we'll just open up the external doors I don't know how their ship got so fucked. And she goes, go through the hole. Why do you do that before? And just float down the planet. You friggin'. Well, thanks for the therapy. Bye. Image of Jordy's mom. So. Did they already figure out the thing they do in every heist movie with video, with cameras? Where they're just going to feed back earlier input? There we go. Yeah, yeah, there we figured that out. So, alright, so they just looped looped his input so he wouldn't get the die in the matrix. Well, he wouldn't die in the Ramon. If you die in the Ramon, you die in real life. So, uh, everything's good now. Captain's log. It's over. Come on. It barely felt like it began, guys. I don't hate it really but um like i just feel like it could have been so much better and because like don't don't <laughs> don't try to jump on your sword for your friend look i know the two of you i consider you pre-jumped on your swords okay that was a check mark in your write-up whether or not you're gonna jump on your sword for data and i penciled it in for you so
I mean, I I think that as weird as it was, the chance there the the there was a valid reason to look into things further, and that they just shut him down. I think Jordy had every reason to go rogue in the truest Star Trek thing. But you know, I say all the time that Captain Kirk stood stood trial of his own volition. He saved Earth so that he could stand trial on it. Um, and so you know, all these Star Trek guys go off go off script. Yeah, but they're willing to pay the price for it for doing it because they believe it's the right thing. That's what Jordy did. Jordy wasn't like, oh, it's not fair. I thought my mom's alive. He accepted it. He just tried to make sure that Data, who helped him out, um, you know, was done right by for it. <laughs> uh, Data and Jordy sharing detention. So anyway, uh, so that that's it for this episode. Next week, we are going to be watching Gambit with Gepwin. And uh, until then, remember Rand.